All right, good morning. You guys are good. So DIYChristmas.church, uh, is that right? Y'all weren't paying attention, were you? So go check that out. It's going to be good. Um, I really think it's going to be uh, awesome to be able to do this in our homes, um, something we can walk through together as families. And so I want to encourage you to go check that out um, and do that on the 26th that morning. Um, also, want to remind you that this Wednesday, 6 o'clock, we have the gathering, which is a prayer time. So I want to encourage you to come out for that. This is uh, probably the most important thing we can do together is to gather and pray. And so I uh, would encourage you to come, come out for that. Six o'clock, it lasts about an hour. Um, we get together, we pray, uh, we worship, and uh, it's super, super important that we do this. To think that we can do the work of God without prayer um, is really unthinkable. It really is, a, is arrogance in a way to think that we can do God's work apart from God uh, working in us. And so I want to encourage you, come be a part of that so that we can... Uh, be together to pray and ask God to move in our hearts, but in this community and in the world as well. So today we're going to continue uh, the series in the Minor Prophets. We're looking at the prophet Zechariah. So if you want to go ahead and find that, um, go through the, what's called the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, some of those, and you'll come to the Minor Prophets. This is the 10th prophet we've actually looked at. Um, we got two more. We got Haggai and we have Malachi. We're going to look at um, both of those in the coming weeks. Um, and so uh, Malachi will finish actually on Christmas Eve, which is really cool that it worked out that way. Didn't plan it that way. I guess God did, but we didn't. Uh, but it worked out well. Um, so many things happened that God does that who are like, wow, that was really cool how you guys did that. I'm like, we didn't do that. It never crossed my mind that that would end on Christmas Eve, but it's really cool the way it did, and I'm excited about um, that evening being together as well. So today we're going to be in the book of Zechariah, the prophecy of Zechariah, um, but we're also going to be in the book of Ezra. So if you're in Zechariah, you got to go a good ways to the left. You got to go back through those major prophets. You got to go through uh, Proverbs, Psalms, Job. You got to go through. Esther, you got to go through several books to get there. But what you want to do is kind of have one finger uh, there in Ezra, one finger there in Zechariah, and that way we can kind of go back and forth. And there's good reason for this. Um, Zechariah was sent uh, along with Haggai, who we'll look at next week, to prophesy to the Israelites. And this is as they are coming back from Babylon. If you remember last week, we looked at the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, I told you, was prophesying right at kind of this imminent time of invasion for the Assyrians coming to take, or the Babylonians, I'm sorry, coming to take the Israelites from Judah, Jerusalem, and carry them back into um, Babylon. Not all of them went. In fact, it wasn't a huge uh, part of them. Maybe a quarter of them or so were taken from, Babel, or from Jerusalem back to Babylon. And so we were looking last week at that part. Well, now fast forward 70 or so years, and we're looking at where they're starting to come back. Jeremiah the prophet prophesied this, that the, the Israelites would go into captivity for 70 years, but after 70 years, God would send them back. There would be a, this, a, another exodus, so to speak, and they would be sent back to Jerusalem. So now we have kind of gone from Habakkuk, this imminent 
um, captivity that was coming, this imminent invasion, to now we're sort of on the other side, like I said, 70 or so years later, where they're starting to be sent back by the, the king of Persia, a man by the name of Cyrus. And so we're going to read a little bit of that. Now, the book is not a bunch of, or the book, the book, the Bible, is not a bunch of disjointed thoughts. And this is important to see. If you go and you look at the Bible, it's all connected. It all tells one story. If you want to go and see kind of the background of, of how um, they, they ended up in Babylon, how they ended up uh, where we're at in Ezra and, and Zechariah, if you want to see how all of this overlaps, you can go read the very end of 2 Kings. You can read the very end of 2 Chronicles. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah, as we're reading, is a part of this. Even Daniel overlaps a little bit with this time. Um, and then, of course, Haggai and Zechariah are sent to prophesy to these people. And so all of this is connected. It all overlaps. It's really incredible to see the Bible. Um, when you've been reading in a while, when you've been studying in a while, it's like the Bible um, becomes this one whole story. And it's like dividers begin to come out of the Bible and you see how it starts connecting. And that is really true here. Um, now, with Zechariah and Haggai, they were sent specifically to prophesy to the Israelites about building the temple. When they got back to Jerusalem, they ran into all kinds of resistance. And for many years, really about a couple of decades, somewhere around 20 years, the, the temple lay dormant. As we're going to see, they laid the foundation, but the temple kind of lay dormant because of the resistance that they were running into. So God raises up Haggai, he raises up Zechariah, and they go and they begin to prophesy, and they begin speaking God's word and God's truth to the people, kind of kicking them in the rear end and encouraging them, get going, let's go, finish this. God will finish this. Don't do this in your own strength. Do this through the power of God, but finish this task you've been given. And so that's where we're at. Zechariah speaking into the life of the Israelites, specifically their leaders, the high priest Joshua and the, the sort of kingly leader, royal priest or royal king lineage leader of Zerubbabel and so he's encouraging them in this that's a lot of background I realize that but that's important for us to understand as we begin to look at this um, it's like today we're looking at sort of this bridge that connects a huge chunk of history um, of the Israelites that and, and of mankind that the Bible covers in the Old Testament. And there's this bridge that connects this, this turning point in the history of the Israelites as they're brought back. And it seems to be a smaller piece of history from Zechariah to the coming of Christ, but it's hugely important. So let's read a couple of verses. We're gonna pray, we'll jump in. So Ezra 1.1, it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, I told you Jeremiah prophesied 70 years and they would be brought back to Jerusalem. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm or throughout his domain, dominion, area of control, and also to put it in writing. And so he goes on and he writes this decree that the Israelites are to be allowed to go back. 
and begin building the temple. He actually sees himself as called to build this temple. In Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. I just want to read that so you see that part of it. They've come now. They're beginning to prophesy. Look at 614. This is really important. Um, Ezra 614 says this. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah. And so we see this then, that the temple was finished. He goes on, they finished the building, the building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and for this time together, Lord, that we can open your word. We can see this story, this one story, this God's story that's laid out before us that could you have done this great and incredible and are doing this incredible work of restoration and reconciliation. Lord, today I pray, Lord, that we'd see that more clearly, that our hearts would be stirred, that your word through the power of the Holy Spirit would stir the spirit in us and that we would be encouraged to, to continue to move forward in spite of resistance, in spite of things we may face, Lord, for those who are having some type of turning point in their lives, some type of, of change, trying to make a, a change in a positive direction. Lord, I pray right now, um, God, that the resistance that we experience would not stop us, that we would not be people who are led by feelings, but people who walk in faith and walk according to the truth, Lord. So I pray your word, Lord, today would work in our hearts, that we would continue to press forward into the things that you have for us, um, not just as individuals, but as your church, Lord, as your people, to accomplish all that you have put us here to do. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, God, for who you are and all you've done, all you do, and all you will do, Lord. We praise you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many of you are NASCAR fans? Any NASCAR fans? It's okay to admit it. NASCAR fans? Some, yeah. So how many of you, like, you're NASCAR fans, and, and so you, like, understand it? Like, you know, like, man, they got to have this right. They got to have that right. You got to, you know, they got to get the tires right. They got to get this and that right. Anybody really kind of, like, understand that stuff? Because I don't, right? I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. Like, for me, if there's a 500-mile race, wake me up at 490, right? That's the part I want to see. I don't understand it. Like, I don't get it. It's kind of like other people with me watching baseball. They're like, how can you watch a whole game of baseball, like nine innings? Well, I understand it. I get it, right? But, but for me, I don't understand NASCAR. Like, I don't get it. I've always heard if you go to a race, like, you'll be hooked. Haven't done that yet. Um, so maybe that's the issue. But when I think about NASCAR and I think about this, you know, there's, there's the kind of the joke. It's like, you know, turn left, turn left. That's kind of what you do on most tracks. But I do know this, that when you go into a curve, even in NASCAR, you can't just keep your foot like whoom, the same speed, right? Most of the time you, you, you got to slow down some. If that's wrong in NASCAR, then just pretend that it's right, right? Because most of you, 99% of you don't know either. But 
But I know for me, if I'm driving down the road and I come to a curve, I have to slow down. I, I have to slow down to make that curve. And then when I'm coming out of the curve, I, what do I do? I accelerate again. But I know this, that that engine begins to work harder as I'm coming out of that curve and I begin to accelerate. And the thing is, sometimes when we are in life and we're going through a transition, when we begin to make a turn in our life, we feel that resistance of that turn. We even feel like this need for this burst of energy to get the momentum moving in the right direction, to begin to go in the right direction. And many times when we're coming through a transition, here's the honest truth, we don't feel like we have that within us to do it. When we begin to try to make that turn, when we begin to try to do something different, when, when I look at this book of Ezra and Zechariah and I see what's happening with the Israelites, I feel like they're just kind of coming out of this turn, man. Look, that they were carried off into Babylon. That they were, for, because of their sin, God uses an evil nation to even judge their evil. So they're carried off into Babylon. They went this way, but now God is turning them around and bringing them back. There is this turning that's taking place. There, there's this transition that's taking place. But as we read this and as we look at this, what we're going to see is that these people, that if you go and read in Ezra, that it says these were the people that God moved in their heart to return to Israel, to, to build the temple, what you find is that they begin to lose heart. As they're making this turn, they begin to lose heart, the resistance that they face from beginning to end. They begin to lose heart, and we are oftentimes like that. Many times we begin to lose heart. Their direction had changed, but they had not yet gained momentum in the right direction. And for us, that's tough. When we're trying to make a transition, when we're trying to make a change, there's always resistance. Listen, if you're trying to make a change to pursue God in some area of your life, you will always find resistance. You are not going to take ground from the enemy without running into resistance. There will always be resistance when we're trying to make changes. And it's this turn I'm talking about, this turn I'm talking about, this transition I'm talking about is anytime we begin to make a positive change in the course of our life, especially in pursuing God. You think about this, it could be in a relationship. Maybe it's in a marriage. You make up your mind, you feel like the Lord is showing you like, this is something we need to get back right. You, you, you realize that things are off and you're trying to begin to work on things. Guess what you're gonna have? You're gonna have resistance before the breakthrough, before the momentum begins. You're gonna feel this resistance. Guess what's gonna happen when you begin to try to pursue the Lord in your walk with Christ? Like maybe you came to faith some time back, but this relationship with God is kind of, have, has kind of grown cold and you begin to say, look, I, I really wanna know the Lord. I wanna pursue the Lord. But, but guess what's gonna happen as you start to make that transition? You know what's gonna happen? You're gonna hit resistance. As you try to make that turn, you're gonna find resistance. Maybe it's with your children. 
You want to begin to disciple your children. You want to begin to pray with your kids. You want to begin to lead them well. And guess what? As you try to start making that transition, you're going to meet resistance. You're, you're, the resistance you feel is going to become discouraging at some point as you begin to make these changes. We can say we live in this pie-in-the-sky place where, you know, if we just follow God, it's all easy. The only problem with that is the Bible. Like, it was never easy. It was worth it. But if you go read about those apostles in that first church, it wasn't easy. You read about those early believers. You even read through the Old Testament at these Old Testament saints who were living for God. It wasn't easy. Some were beheaded. Some were fed to lions. Yeah, there were incredible miracles that God did, but it wasn't easy. There was always resistance. Maybe it's a time in your life where you're just trying to kind of get things moving in that right direction. You're going to face resistance. There will always be resistance. And this is the challenge of that, that resistance. How many of you are familiar with Newton's law of inertia? <laughs> Y'all are so much smarter than I am. I had to look this up. I knew there was something there. I knew there was something about an object in motion, is in motion. I, I knew it was something, but I looked it up. But Newton's law of inertia. Some of y'all are like about to quote this as I read it. <laughs> don't, just don't. An object at rest stays at rest, and an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Is that right? Yeah. So I got it off the internet, and the internet never lies. So I knew that had to be true. But an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. So think about this. If you're in motion and your life is going a certain direction, there's going to be, there's got to be something that causes that change. And, and that change is, is automatically going to cause resistance. It's the only way for direction to change. We are going to face resistance when we begin to make change in our lives. When the Spirit begins to move in our hearts, we're going to face resistance in some way. You start to make health changes, right? Resistance. You start to do anything that's a positive change. You make a decision, I'm going to spend time actually resting. I'm going to create margin in my life so I'm not running and burning the candle at both ends. You know what you're going to do? You're going to face resistance. This is just the truth. This is where these Israelites were that we're talking about. The resistance, though, guys, listen, it's not the circumstances. It's not so much the circumstances that cause the discouragement it's the feelings our circumstances produce. So the circumstances happen, but where the real discouragement comes is in what we're feeling. What we're feeling. And so resistance happens when our past, our present, and our future thoughts create feelings contrary to God's truth. And so we become discouraged. This is exactly where these Israelites were. They were discouraged. See, they had 
they had all these prophecies that once they returned, it was sort of going to be this pie in the sky kind of thing, right? It seemed like it was going to be easy, like it was just going to be like, you know, pow, and, and God just did it for them. But it wasn't like that. And it seemed like it wasn't happening the way they thought it should. And so they began to become discouraged. They began to feel like things were never going to happen. And when we're in this turn, this transition, and we've not yet gained the momentum, and we're still kind of getting our feet under us, moving towards this positive change, moving towards God, um, these feelings, they're not determined by faith, but they tend to be our default. We tend to move by our feelings, not by faith. We tend to move by our emotions, not by truth. And emotions don't produce endurance because they ebb and flow with circumstances. Feelings don't yield faithfulness because they take us all over the place. We have to be people who live by faith, who endure in faith. Some of these examples, I want you to hear some of these examples of the resistance, the feelings that we begin to be discouraged by. One of these is that we oftentimes glorify the past, and this hinders us. We glorify the past. See, if you're, how many of you have ever been in the mountains and you're riding on those mountain roads? Like, it's like if you, if you miss by a foot, it's like those roads. I don't like those roads. And see, if you're on one of those roads, here's the thing. You're not going to drive that road looking in your rear view mirror. Right? Because you know what's going to happen? That. It's not going to be good. But so many of us live our life looking in the rearview mirror and we wonder like, why am I running into stuff? Why can't I break free? Why can't I get this breakthrough in my life so that I, I can experience this positive change, so that I can pursue God, so I can glorify God, so I can serve God, so I can actually do things for God. It's because when we begin to feel this resistance, we tend to back off. We tend to back off. And one of the reasons we do this is kind of because we can glorify the past. We, we often long to go back when what's behind us wasn't even really good. Have y'all ever noticed that? We oftentimes want to go back to what was when what was wasn't very good. Somehow, like in this nostalgic way, the past seems better to us now than it was then. Think about the Israelites when they were brought out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they're, they're, they've been set free. They've seen these miracles happening, and yet Pharaoh's coming, and they're like, we just want to go back. Moses, you brought us out here in the desert to die. They said that throughout the whole journey. You brought, we just want to go back. We'd be better off as slaves, as if they remembered it better than what it was. And we oftentimes do the same thing. I talk to people all the time and they're like, I just miss this or I miss that. And I'm like, yeah, but when we were there, you hated it. But somehow we can remember things from seasons of our life that even if they weren't perfect, they, they kind of bring us comfort. And so we don't want to step out of this comfort to something better. We, we, we feel like this was at least 
a situation that I understood. I knew what was going to happen. We won't leave our job to go for something better, even though our boss is a jerk, even though we're treated badly. Why? Because at least when I get up in the morning to go to work, I know he's a jerk. If I go get another job, I don't know what might happen. Well, what's the worst that could happen? He's a jerk, right? But we stay in this place because we look back and we think, okay, so that season was this, and, and we see it as so much better than what it was. And in our mind, it's better in the rear view, even though when we were actually living in it, it wasn't very good. Another thing that happens is we'll dwell on the past. And, and this is one of the areas that our feelings control us so much and our heart condemns us so much. Listen to this in Zechariah 3, 1 through 5. Flip over there, Zechariah 3, 1 through 5. It says, then he showed me Joshua. Now, Joshua was one of the two main leaders in in this time, building the temple. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, put on, this is Zechariah, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Now this is all symbolic, right? This is Zechariah sort of seeing into heaven, seeing into this spiritual realm, and he's having this vision. If you read Zechariah, there is a lot of weird stuff going on in there, I'm telling you, but it's all symbolic of different things the Lord is showing. If you get in and study it, it starts making sense, but he has this vision that Joshua is standing next to Satan, and in this spiritual realm, he's accusing him, and Joshua symbolically has on these dirty clothes, and the accuser is there accusing Joshua, the priest, but God steps in. He says, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, I rebuke you, Satan. I, I see the accusations. I see what you're doing. And he says, and I rebuke you. And he takes off these old, dirty clothes representing his sin and the sin of Israel. And he gives them clean clothes. And it's almost like, this is just my, my, my translation of this, but it's almost like Zechariah sees like the clothes get clean and all this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put a turban on his head too. Like, this is awesome. Put a turban on his head. Put a clean turban on his head. And God cleanses him. And see, here's the thing is that Joshua, this high priest, is foreshadowing Jesus who would ultimately take away our sin and our uncleanliness and, and forgive us. This is a great work of God's grace that we're seeing in Zechariah, this love of God that moves him to do for us what we can't do for ourselves so that when we couldn't clean ourselves up, God sent his son to clean us to make us clean. And yet our feelings tell us so many times, I'm unclean, I'm dirty. Condemnation eats us alive, not conviction that leads us to repentance, but condemnation that destroys us. 
God rebuked this enemy, this accuser, Satan. And he made Joshua clean. The same way for you, if you are in Christ, you have been made clean. Don't let this condemnation, don't let this condemnation that the accuser is speaking into your mind, don't let that condemnation keep you from pushing through the resistance. Now, there's another side of this. Don't use those words that I just said to just do whatever you want to do. Like there is conviction and there is repentance. That 100%. I met with a guy one night and was trying to help with his marriage and help him through some things and just a lot of insecurities that were there. And I sat with him for about an hour. Like this is like 10 o'clock at night. Trying to encourage, trying to encourage, like, look, you're not defined by, you know, what you've done or what you do. You're defined by Christ. In Christ, you're a new creator. I'm, I'm trying to just help him see this. We get up and leave. Later, I find out he goes home to his wife, walks in the door, and says, Brandon told me that it doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what God thinks. And so I don't have to care about what you think. Like, no, right? No. That wasn't the conversation. So here's the thing. Like, we do have conviction. We are called to repentance. But we can be corrected without condemnation. And that's what happens with us when we're in Christ. Another issue we have is minimizing the present. Minimizing the present. Go back to Ezra. I told you we'd do some flipping around. Go back to Ezra, chapter 3, verse 11. So when we look at this, it says, With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So now they've laid the foundation. This is happening. This is actually happening. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud. They, they saw this foundation. And they thought this temple will never be as glorious as the first temple that was destroyed. They wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. Now, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel, remember this is one of the other leaders, Joshua and Zerubbabel. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hands of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees? We'll get into that in just a minute. But when you look at this, they're minimizing the present. They're minimizing what's happening then. And oftentimes we do that. Oftentimes we do that. Look, they came back. 
that God has worked this incredible miracle. He has moved in the heart of a pagan king, King Cyrus, to send these people back. And he sends them back. And, and they're there with all of the resources. Not only did he send them back, but he made a decree that you need to give them everything they need to build this temple. And God is moving. He's fulfilled a prophecy Jeremiah gave years before that in 70 years, guess what? 70 years, they're headed back. God is doing an incredible miracle of restoration. They're coming through the turn. There's some resistance around them, yes. But then when they lay the temple, the ones who had seen the former temple, they're doing what we talked about the first time. They're glorifying the past because it really wasn't that great for them. Even then, they were idolaters. They were, they were not being faithful to God. They were still um, under all kinds of attack and oppression, but they're looking back, and now they come and they see this temple, and they minimize the present. They minimize the faithfulness of God that's happening right now. They minimize the miracle, and they're just weeping and wailing. And they don't realize that God is doing something incredible in their midst. And they despise this small beginning. They look around and they're like, we're not the focus of the whole world anymore. How is this gonna happen? And when we're coming through that transition and, and, and that turn and we look at it and we're like, this isn't even all that big. This isn't that big of a thing. And we get discouraged and we begin to just back off and sometimes even turn and begin to go the other direction again. What you have to see is this. You just gotta keep pushing. God is faithful. You gotta keep stepping. Take that next step. Keep moving. Don't despise small beginnings because you'll never pursue and follow Jesus in your life that when you get to the end of the race, you regret it. Keep stepping, keep pushing, keep walking. So many times we don't realize that faithfulness today sows and waters for that future fruit that God is gonna bring in your life. And it doesn't happen. Typically, there is no magic bullet with God. It is a process of sowing, watering, reaping. Sowing, watering, reaping. Doesn't happen overnight. It's like going to the gym, right? You're going to the gym. You gotta sow and water continually. You just gotta sow and water. You gotta keep going. So much of life, listen to this. So much of life and, and, and faithfulness with God is just showing up every day. It's just showing up. It's like at the gym, just show up. Just show up. I'm not talking about like show up two days a month, right? People go two days a month, they're like, I just don't see any gains. Or you're like me and you go and, you work out and then you go get like a wings and things from Zaxby's. It's right there by the gym I go to. I mean, it's hard to resist. You know, I don't see any gains. Because we have to sow, we have to water, we reap consistently showing up, not just one day, not just for one meal, not just for one workout. We sow, show up every single day. But we minimize what can happen with one faithful act today and then in faithfulness tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. 
And some of us look at that and we're like, man, I can't do that. I, I, you get into something, you're coming through this turn and your marriage is still rocky and you want to give up and you want to quit. Maybe, um, uh, you know, in, in some other relationship, it's rocky. You want to quit. In work, it's rocky. You just want to quit. You want to give up. You want to, you, you know, with our relationship with God, maybe sometimes it feels, you know, kind of bland, whatever it is. We, we get to this place where we just kind of want to quit. We just kind of want to give up. And you say, look, I can't, I can't do this forever. I can't do this forever. Well, the good news is this, you don't have to. You know what you do? You do it today. You keep pressing today. You keep moving today. And then tomorrow, we'll worry about that when we get there. Another issue we have is overemphasizing the present. It's like we feel like the season we're in, this moment of resistance, it's always going to be this way. I'll never get out of this. I remember when we had our first child and we were in a spot where, you know, those where you sleep like two hours a night. And I can remember laying on our couch with my son in one of those little vibrating bouncy seats. And I would have my hand on that thing, trying to shake it and sleep, because I'm like, just, it's not vibrating enough. Like, just shake it. And we'd have, we had those baby Einstein videos. Some of y'all probably remember. I don't know if they still have those or not. I'm past that stage. Hallelujah. And so, uh, but we had these baby Einstein videos, and I knew those things by heart, like the, the music. I could hear the music and tell you what was happening on the screen. And so at night I'd be laying there and I'm just like shaking this thing, trying to sleep. And I could hear like I'm asleep, but I'm not. And I could hear in the back of my mind when that music was getting to the end. I'm like, oh dear Lord, he's going to start crying again. And I just wanted a little bit of sleep. You know what I mean? And I remember thinking in that moment, my life is over. I cannot do this forever. This is going to kill me. But you know what? Eight, nine years later, it was so much better. You know, they finally started sleeping. Wasn't quite that bad, but it was a season, right? It was a season. And we have to realize this. This resistance is a season. It's a season. We look at it, we say, we can't do it. I can't maintain this forever. We look at Zechariah again, chapter 4. It says, then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? So God, uh, speaking through this angel, this messenger says, what do you see? He said, I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked to me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What are you, mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. 
Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Skip down to verse 11. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, don't you know what these are? If I'm Zechariah right there, I'm getting really aggravated. Because like, I wouldn't be asking you if I knew what they were, right? He says, no, my Lord. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. What's he saying? He's saying, look, it's not gonna be by your power. It's not gonna be by your might. It's gonna be by the spirit of God. It's gonna be by his power. You look at this gold lampstand representing God. You look at um, the, 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 the olive trees and the oil that's pouring out of them. Representing the Holy Spirit that fills us as they were anointed, so are you. When we lean into God, it's not based off of our ability and our strength. I can't maintain this forever, but God in his strength can. You don't have to maintain it. You just lean into God today and you keep stepping today and God will give you the strength to see it through. Not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit. The last source of resistance is when we doubt the future. But God's present faithfulness should have assured them and assure us of their future hope. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 1. Then I looked up and I saw before me a man who was with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. What's he doing? Is this one of these visions, right? What in the world? A man with a, he, he's, he's basically saying, look, there's going to be a new Jerusalem. It's going to be greater than the former. In other words, God is doing a miracle. God is working a miracle. And, and Zechariah and Haggai are trying to encourage them with this. He's giving them this vision. And the way we continue moving, the way we make it around that sharp turn on that mountain without going off the edge is we stay focused on our lane. And the vision paints those lines of the lane that we're called to live in, to run in, to walk in. And God's spirit strengthens us through his promises and gives us fuel to keep moving forward. And there's this resistance. We glorify the past. We dwell in the past. We minimize the present. We overemphasize the present and we doubt the future. So how do we overcome these? Real quick. We overcome by two unchangeable things. God and his word. God and his word. God and his promises. Faithfulness in the turn comes from knowing God, knowing his character, his nature, that he cannot lie, but will be faithful to everything that he has said and trusting in his word. We read earlier how the Israelites flourished under the teaching, under the preaching of these two prophets. We are wired the same way. 
when the Holy Spirit empowers his word, when we're in his word, when we hear his word, there's something that disturbs the spirit in us. Something happens inside of us and the spirit of God begins to stir us. It's like, like a spoon in our spirit begins to stir and we come alive again through his word. When we read it and we spend time in it, when we hear it, we, we, something comes alive. Something comes alive. There's a stirring. When I was playing football back in high school, we had a trainer who would get the Gatorade and stuff like that together and had one of those big, you know, like keg coolers. And, and so they told him to go get the Gatorade ready. Well, he went and got it all and he's out there and he pours the powder into the water, but he didn't have anything to stir with. And so we turn around and look and he literally pulled up his sleeve and stuck his arm down in the Gatorade and was stirring it like that. Like just this whole arm, just down in the Gatorade, just stirring the Gatorade. That's gross. But what God does is really good. It's like with, he, he, through the word, it's like he reaches his arm down and he begins to stir in our hearts and strengthen our hearts. And he says, just keep moving, keep stepping. When you step, I'll empower. When you step, I'll give strength. When you step, in, even in the midst, I can give you rest. But keep stepping, keep walking, keep moving. God and his word, two things that are unchangeable. God does not change like shifting shadows. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word will endure forever. Faithfulness in the turn comes from knowing God and trusting his word. And this is how we can be sure. Zechariah 9, 8 through 10, God says this, I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. See, as we read this, this is about the kingdom of Jesus. We know from uh, the New Testament, from the gospels, that when he was coming in to go to the cross, he rode in on a donkey. He rode in uh, for, for his own sacrifice. And we know that they were praising him. We know that a week later they crucified him. But Jesus, nonetheless, was coming to establish his kingdom. We know that he came in, that he had been faithful to that point. We know that he went to the cross unjustly. We know that he took our sin upon himself. We know that he died on that cross. We know that his body was taken down and put in a tomb. But we also know that three days later, that, tomb rolled, that stone rolled away from the door of that tomb, from the opening of that tomb, and Jesus walked out alive. And he is the victorious king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who has overcome our oppressor, 
overcome Satan, our accuser, overcome sin, hell, death, and the grave. And when we look at all the faithfulness of God and everything that he's done, even when we face resistance, we know that this is true. God will give us the victory he has promised. And when we're facing resistance, you keep stepping. Don't you quit. You remember, it won't be by your strength. It won't be by your power. It is by the Spirit of God, and you grab hold of him. A couple of weeks ago, I had a funeral coming up I had to do, and those are hard. I had a message I was preparing for. I had like three, four things I was trying to get ready for, and I'm like, God, there ain't enough time in the day. And I got to stand up in front of people and, and, and God, I don't, there's no way. And I just kind of heard this still small voice in my heart say, you know what? It's a great time to trust me, isn't it? Yeah. And that's where it's at. Is when the resistance seems overwhelming. You know what we do? We reach up and we, we hold on because you know what he's doing? He's holding on to us. I want to encourage you. Many of you right now are coming out of the turn. You're in the turn. Maybe you're going into a turn. You're deciding, I need these changes. I want to pursue God and I want to honor him. I want to live for God. Look, and you're coming into that thing. And sometimes as we're coming into the curve, it can be like, yes, this is going to be awesome. We get about half. We're like, oh, this is terrible. We start to come out. I don't know if I can make it. I promise you this. If you won't worry about tomorrow and you'll just take a step of faith today and hold on, God will meet you where you are. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep stepping. We have a great purpose as a church. We are the temple now that God is building, and we will flourish under his word. Let the word of God stir your heart, and you keep pressing forward. You keep driving on through the power of his spirit. Don't quit. Don't relent. Don't withdraw. Don't shrink back. Keep moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, this morning, I thank you that you are with us, that you are here right now. Would you stir our spirit? Would you stir our spirit, Lord, as we make this transition, as we in our own lives may be going through some type of repentance, some type of turn in our life, trying to bring our life back in line with you, to move towards you and away from other things in our life, Lord, that don't bring life, that, that aren't pleasing to you, Lord. Would you give us the strength today? Because we know, God, you're faithful today. And then, God, we know you'll be faithful tomorrow. And you'll be faithful the next day. God, that we would just show up every day rejoicing in our relationship with you, rejoicing in fellowship with your spirit and with each other. And that we would just continue to take one step after another, God. One step of watering. One step of sowing. And, God, knowing that we will in due season reap a harvest. And it would be a harvest for your kingdom. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, look, hope to see you Wednesday. Remember Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, we'll be praying. We're going to meet over in the kids' uh, auditorium. So come pray with us, worship with us. Let's, let's go to the Lord and ask him to do a mighty work. God bless.